The devastating building fire that claimed more than 70 lives in the Johannesburg CBD, the worst building fire in Johannesburg's history, became so many things at the same time in South Africa when it happened. And it has come to represent so many crises, so many issues facing South Africa right now. Decaying areas, government inaction, political squabbling, scapegoat blaming of illegal immigrants, xenophobia, for some reason hating on NGOs, all of these different political ideas swirling together that many, many politicians are going to make or try to make the 2024 election about. And the history of the Johannesburg CBD, the way that it got to the point now where it is so dangerous, you can barely walk around in the city, it is abandoned by the government, avoided by the police, a terror for emergency services to go into. That story of the Johannesburg CBD is also a perfect symbolic representation and example of so many things that have gone awry in South Africa in the last 20 years. This is the issue with the Johannesburg CBD. This is a big conversation. This is really hard. We're going to try and unpack so much of this. But seriously, I'm confident that the messy ball of crises that went into this devastating fire, this tragedy, is the ball of crises that will seriously come to affect the 2024 election. So strap in. This is the issue with Dan Corder and the issue with the Johannesburg Central Business District. You can watch the video version of this on YouTube and all of our other podcasts or wherever you're listening to them right now, you can find us on social media. Let's dig in. So before we talk about all the politicians trying to exploit this disaster zone for their own agendas in the run-up to the 2024 election, how did the city of Johannesburg turn out this way? Here's the story. So as we all know, Johannesburg in the last 150 years has turned from basically a wild patch of dirt, a farm, into a globally recognized super city, a metropolis. The discovery of gold meant that migrants, travelers, came from all around what is now South Africa, all around the world in the late 1800s and early 1900s to seek their fortune. And so Johannesburg grew rapidly, so fast, and now has way more than 5 million people. It has grown so quickly for such a young city. And during apartheid, the government classified the Johannesburg Central Business District as a whites-only area. No black people were allowed to live there. They were only allowed to come into that area if they had a permit, a work permit, on the terms of the white ruling government or employers. And so the Johannesburg CBD, if you look at pictures, it looks wild. It just looks like a European hyper-rich city. It does look like downtown United States of America. And there are only white people and there are nice cars and there are trees and there are gorgeous, architecturally magnificent buildings. And now and again, you see a black employee, a laborer, an everyday person walking around. But as the apartheid government's authority began to fall apart, from around the 70s through the 80s, areas of the Johannesburg CBD became more cosmopolitan. They started to be described as gray areas, gray zones, places like Hillbrow, Bramfontein, Yeovil. More and more black South Africans and black people were able to spend time in and sometimes even secretly live in those areas around the Johannesburg CBD. Because the CBD is always the place that any person goes to seek work. It's the center of the economic hub. It's the center of money making. And so anywhere around the world, anybody who wants to make money, anybody who wants to transform their lives, heads to the center of the money which is generally the central business district. 
Then, through the state of emergency of the late 1980s, the apartheid government started to care less and less about maintaining the Group Areas Act and maintaining apartheid laws. Some say that they saw the writing on the wall and realized that apartheid was coming to an end. Others say that they had far bigger priorities like brutal, vicious, violent clampdowns on dissent or opposition protest in townships. And that meant that by the early 1990s, even before the start of the new South Africa, the Johannesburg CBD was starting to change. More and more black South Africans were moving in and trying to live in and around there and work in and around there to try and seek their fortunes and change their lives. But in the late 80s and early 90s, because of decades of the apartheid government peddling this notion of the Swat Khafar, which means the black danger, it means this idea that the black people are evil and savage and barbaric and terrifying and they're going to rise up and they're going to overrun the country and attack white people. This is literally what Bright Blue's famous song, at least famous amongst white South Africans, Weeping, is about. About this fundamental fear that the apartheid government incited in white South Africans about the danger of apartheid falling apart and the danger of empowering black South Africans, which the apartheid government then used as a reason to say, vote for us, because we are the ones protecting you, keeping your life cute, holding back the Swat Khafar, the enemy, the external enemy that we will protect you from. Now, I want you to remember what I just said, because when we talk about xenophobia and we talk about what politicians are doing today, a little bit later, all of this is going to sound very, very familiar. So into the 1990s, the Johannesburg CBD became less regulated. The apartheid security and the military and the police force were not holding up those apartheid Group Areas Act laws very strictly. And more and more people started to move in and around the Johannesburg CBD. Naturally, poorer people. And because of the creation of this phobia, the Swat Khafar of the other in white people, this made white Joburgers in their kind of like ivory tower, perfect fantasy land Joburg CBD palace get very nervous and scared. And by the 1994 elections and beyond, there were many, many, many South Africans, black South Africans moving into and trying to work in and around the Johannesburg CBD and trying to find places to live. And many of them were very, very poor. They were moving from poverty-stricken contexts to try and find better lives for themselves. And into the new South Africa, the new South African government did little to nothing to try to keep order and keep law enforcement on top of what was going on in the Johannesburg CBD. So petty crime started and then petty crime increased. And because of another legacy of apartheid, which is called spatial apartheid, because there were very few places for poorer South Africans and black South Africans to live in and around the Johannesburg CBD, people started to try and live wherever they could. And they lived in hostels and they lived in abandoned spaces to try and live near the money because spatial apartheid had always kept black South Africans very far away from places where they could make money. And so where there are poor and desperate people, inevitably criminal organizations come in to rule over them, extract rents from them, and create a new system of power where in particular the government's instrument of power, their law and order, the police, is not present. And so crime got quite bad quite quickly in the Johannesburg CBD into the late 90s. And if you add the Swat Khafar terror into that mix, suddenly massive companies started fleeing the Johannesburg CBD. The reason why Santon exists, the richest square mile in Africa that was built from fresh and looks like a SimCity game because it is so ludicrously perfect and well manicured and high-rise gorgeous, it looks like a set of Star Wars alien buildings, is because all of these companies fled the Johannesburg CBD when they decided it was just too dangerous to do business there and be based there. 
Interestingly, many of those companies still owned those buildings that they abandoned because they couldn't find people to sell the buildings to because those people were also scared of the Johannesburg CBD falling apart and buying useless buildings. So they wouldn't offer enough money to make the sale worthwhile. So many of these companies still own these buildings. So government inaction and honestly just government neglect plus the legacy of apartheid plus the desperate poverty that many people find themselves in in South Africa caused the Johannesburg CBD to change rapidly and become very dangerous. And then a narrative developed about how dangerous the Johannesburg CBD is and how lawless it is. And suddenly there was this huge capital flight. And since then, Johannesburg CBD has kind of been falling from crisis to crisis, disaster to disaster. More and more buildings have become what is called hijacked, which means that the owners, whether it's private companies or the government, have neglected those buildings, let them fall into states of disrepair, in some cases stopped using them, and then criminal organizations have taken over those buildings and started extracting rents from people to allow them to live there. And there are plenty of South Africans living in devastating conditions in these hijacked buildings because they need to, because they need to be near work, they need to be able to live near places where they can earn money. And also many immigrants, many foreigners, many people from overseas or not necessarily always overseas, places like that are not technically overseas, but South Africans call it overseas anyway, places like Zimbabwe and Botswana and Malawi and even further have moved in to these extremely cheap, extremely dilapidated, awful living quarters in the Johannesburg CBD. And this has become a real political crisis for the ANC because government after government has been shown to be very corrupt and shown to be absolutely unwilling, unable, disinterested in turning around this mega mess. There have been so many dodgy stories of corruption. There was even an investigation two weeks ago into a hijacked building, and it was discovered that the building used to be a government building, and that a local politician, an elected official, a councillor, had colluded with a criminal organization to cause that building to be abandoned by the government, to allow the criminal body to take over the building and hijack it. And so a local politician who's not yet been named was arrested for this collusion. But there have been a bunch of other government failures. So no government has been able to get law enforcement back into these disaster zones to sort out these criminal bodies. No government has been able to keep the lights on, to maintain roads, to provide water, regular supplies of water, to these areas of the Johannesburg CBD that has just fallen apart. So that's how the Johannesburg CBD is today and has been for a long time now. And that is the context that we now need to understand the issues that are happening all over South Africa that might become fundamental to the 2024 election that all seem to be happening in the Joburg CBD. We all saw it. It was the morning of the 31st of August, 2023. I was on air. And everyone else online in South Africa, we all saw it. We all knew what was about to happen. That was the morning of the worst building fire in the city of Johannesburg's history. More than 70 people died. Many more were injured, taken to hospital. And as the details were coming out in news headlines, we all saw the explosion on social media. Even before we knew any details about the fire itself, even before virtually any news journalists had got to the scene, well before any politicians or the mayor and even some emergency services had got to the scene, we saw these tweets. I'm not calling them X's. We saw these tweets with thousands of retweets, tens of thousands of likes from accounts with 
weird hashtags and South African flags in them saying, it's the illegal immigrants. Look at these illegal immigrants. And we know that they have stolen this building from us and they're kicking out South Africans and the crime lords are Nigerian and everyone in the building is Malawian, Zimbabwean, Botswana. And we know that they're illegal. We know none of them have papers. It was this instant, even before any information had come out from the tragic fire, this instant story, this narrative. And for South Africans waking up on the 31st of August, 2023, that was the first thing they read. They weren't reading the News 24, the Times Live reporting tweets with like, we're about to get to the scene and stay tuned for more information. And this is a live breaking development. No, they were reading these tweets with explosive numbers claiming things were true that it was impossible to know at that time were true. And that became the story and is still the story of that tragedy for many, many South Africans because that's what they were presented. Now, the biggest of these Twitter accounts are well-known, hateful, fake news spreading troll accounts followed by legions of bots. Like we all know about Lerato Pele, for example, fake name for an ex disgraced Lance Corporal from the South African Defense Force, who we all know these kinds of accounts make a fortune because they get paid by people with motives to push certain agendas and push them so fast, push them better than any news organization can keep up with that they often become the dominant narrative. And because you see 10,000 retweets or 8,000 likes, you assume that enough people have agreed on social media with this person that it must be true. But incredible investigative journalism and really effective analysis all around the world, this is happening in countries all around the world, but this is the clear South African case, has shown that these accounts are often run by a few people with enormous legions of programmed bots. And if you go on these bot Twitter accounts' feeds, all they do is retweet with particular hashtags at particular times, all at the same time, very mysteriously, these bigger accounts. And these bigger accounts also do something called follow trains. Follow train essentially is an agreement between a bunch of people on Twitter or anywhere where I will like and retweet and reply to anything you say and you'll do that for me too. And then these enormous networks of people just agree that they're all going to promote each other's material instantly without consideration of what it is. But that games the algorithm and boosts those tweets up. And so there is this sophisticated network on social media, particularly Twitter, which is still the place where the news happens and the news is written about and people go to find out the news and then you see screenshots of it on Instagram and TikTok or whatever else. There is a sophisticated network of fake news peddlers and bigots probably being paid by someone or a group of people, an organization to promote this narrative, this deeply xenophobic, dangerous narrative that the illegal immigrants are sweeping into South Africa, destroying our lives, killing our children, all that awful mess. Just this past few days, on Monday, the BBC released a documentary into Operation Dudula. Now, Operation Dudula is a vigilante group of South Africans claiming that illegal immigrants are the worst, the worst, the worst, and literally going out and trying to cause, incite, or themselves go and attack immigrants in South Africa doesn't matter whether they're here legally or not, whether they have a visa, whether they've got a passport on them. The aim is to terrorize and often kill and physically drive out foreigners from poor South African communities. Put South Africa First does something very similar, but more online. And it's awful. And that is truly illegal. That is evil. That is violating the rights of people. That is vigilante action and should be condemned. But the reason why I think it's so clear that this will matter in 2024 is that 
the idea of the illegal immigrant being the problem has seeped into South African mainstream politics. Some years ago, Herman Mashaba, when he was still with the DA actually, when he was mayor of Johannesburg, was seen as being one of those people. And all of these accounts were retweeting him and promoting him and saying that he was the kind of clear seeing one who was going to save Johannesburg and fix it and clear out the Johannesburg CBD, the inner city, and rid the country of the evil of illegal immigrants. And he had some very, very bad quotes that he gave on the record, like us and them, like kind of, it felt like he was dog whistling to this sense of like uh, frustrated xenophobia to try and get people on his side and raise his profile. Now, interestingly, in the last few years, all of these accounts have kind of denounced Mashaba as being actually just with his new party, Action SA, the DA light. They are furious that he's taking meetings with Stephen Hayes and that he's cooled his rhetoric on illegal immigrants and occupation. But after this building fire, other prominent politicians like the Patriotic Alliance's Kenny Kunene, similarly Gayton McKenzie, their leader who's been saying a lot of this kind of thing, rushed to the scene and got on all of the political talk shows and all of the news bulletins saying, this is the problem with illegal immigrants. They have destroyed the Johannesburg CBD. They have taken it away from good, hardworking South Africans. Good, hardworking South Africans are being killed, losing buildings, being kidnapped, losing jobs, losing money, being driven into poverty by the illegal immigrant. And so it's very clear that there is an orchestrated plan to incite feelings of xenophobia based often on fake news, trying to incite terror and incite loathing towards the enemy And the enemy is the illegal immigrant idea in South Africa. We've seen extraordinary things. We've seen government politicians saying that there could be more than 10, 20 million illegal immigrants in South Africa when it's probably more like four or five million. This is coming from government departments over the last few years. And we have also seen the blaming of immigrants of the other all around the world throughout history. I know you're probably just instantly thinking Nazi Germany because it's become the emblematic example, but anti-Semitism against the Jews was happening for hundreds of years in pogroms across Russia and elsewhere long before Hitler in the 1930s. You see the illegal immigrant shtick being thrown around in the United States of America, tons. It was the underpinning notion of the whole of Brexit. And the reason why it is so popularly used by some politicians is because it's incredibly useful. It does a few things. Firstly, And most importantly, for lots of politicians who are in ruling political parties, it outsources the blame. The country's getting worse, but it's not our fault as the government. We are being invaded. It's not your fault as the people. You are being overrun by the immigrants. And they're probably all illegal and they don't speak like us or sound like us. And they're just coming here to steal our stuff and exploit our resources and ruin it. Now, it is obvious that in the vast majority of cases, immigrants move like all people move to a place where it is likely that they think they can create themselves a bit of life, maybe from awful, difficult scenarios. But it is also true that hundreds of millions of people have migrated and become model citizens, builders of excellent communities, contributors to countries. This is the tale of the history of humanity. The whole of Johannesburg was built from scratch, from a farm where some gold was found, into a city of generations and generations of people moving there from all over the place. But to a politician wanting to outsource the blame for, say, their party doing badly, they're invading. They're destroying all of the good work that we're doing. It's not our fault that things aren't going well for you, South Africans in this case. It's not my fault for not doing my job as a politician. It's their fault. It's also a very useful political ploy to use as an opposition party because you get to say 
Again, we're being invaded. You create this siege mentality that there's an enemy to defeat. And the enemy to defeat political idea has also been used for centuries. George Bush invaded Iraq and Afghanistan on the idea of the enemy to defeat. And his polling numbers surged because he was the protector and he was protecting the people of the United States. And without him, they wouldn't be protected from the enemy. Nigel Farage in England got incredibly high profile because he was saying that we're being invaded and we're being washed away. You see in America now this very deeply racist idea of the great replacement theory where some bigots in America are trying to convince everybody that allowing immigrants in is trying to destroy the white race and overrun it and run it into minority. And all of this is an attack on the white race. And it's orchestrated by some evil Illuminati type cabal from a central organization that's trying to destroy the whites with no evidence. But it's a politically powerful, effective strategy if you're willing to double down into very bigoted and nearly always non-factual, completely evidenceless claims about the attackers. So this strategy has become incredibly useful to use in the city of Johannesburg, in the CBD, because it has fallen into decay. Buildings have been hijacked. There are many foreigners living in and around the city of Johannesburg. And whether they are legal immigrants or illegal is irrelevant to the narrative. It doesn't matter for these politicians and what they're trying to peddle and what they're trying to put out there and all of these enormous, very, very powerful fake news peddling bot accounts. So tragically, that is exactly why this idea of the evil foreigner is being built up for the 2024 elections. It's very, very useful for a ton of different politicians in different positions of power. People in power can say, ah, but we're being invaded and they're the problem and we will rise up and deal with this. And people outside of power, minor political parties can say, the government is unable to deal with this invasion, so we will deal with it. The Johannesburg CBD today is wild. It's lawless in many parts. It's very dangerous. There are these beautiful, iconic architectural masterpieces, these old buildings which used to house some of the richest and most powerful companies in the world. Some of the biggest banks, some of the most famous newspapers, some world-famous institutions like the Carlton Hotel is always used as the example. And so you can see the history of this absolute powerhouse of a place, something that looks, it's been compared a lot with old New York is how it looks. But many parts of the Johannesburg CBD now are miserable. The roads are broken up. There's no lights on. There's trash and rubbish and dirt lying everywhere. People are really desperate and poverty-stricken. They are shanty towns. And when you hear the words hijacked building in Johannesburg, this is what it means. There are many buildings in Johannesburg that used to be owned by big companies or the government. Some of them still are. But today, they are occupied by essentially townships built with inside the building. So it's often described as you walk into the ground floor of a building and essentially you walk into a kind of corridor and if you follow the corridor, 20 or 30 shack homes, rooms basically have been built on that floor and it's the same through all of the floors. The fire department of the city of Johannesburg says that over half, maybe more than 60% of the buildings in the Joburg CBD are fire traps. If a fire starts in one of those buildings, people are going to die. Lots of people are going to die. Joburg law enforcement doesn't even go in to large parts of the Johannesburg Central Business District. Emergency services try to, but it's really scary. Ambulances get robbed. Fire trucks are scared away. 
Many, many of these streets and hijacked buildings are run by organized crime, by crime lords, by gangs. It's a terrifying place to be in. But beyond brazen xenophobia, often without any factual evidence, there's a lot more blame shifting going on. Lindiwe Zulu, who is the current Minister of Social Development in South Africa, rushed to the scene and then gave what is now a very, very famous or infamous interview where she blamed the Johannesburg building fire on apartheid. Now, on the one hand, what she said is absolutely ludicrous. But on the other hand, as you've heard me describe, there is some historical truth. A lot of these crises that we see now in the city of Johannesburg were created by the apartheid government and inherited by the ANC rulers. But it's been nearly 30 years of ANC rule. And this was a government building. This was a government building that was dedicated to, ironically, helping vulnerable women and children who were homeless or were the victims of domestic violence or abuse. This is what this building was for. And government neglect, ANC neglect in the last 30 years, allowed the building to fall into disrepair. And then when criminal organizations basically took over the building and told the people working there, don't come back or we'll deal with you, the ANC government did not send in police, law enforcement, to try and get rid of the criminal organizations and preserve the building, and then the building became hijacked, the one that then burned and more than 70 people died. So Linda Wezulu was, I think, correctly lambasted for that claim that, oh, this was apartheid's fault and ignore the last 29 years, we, the ANC, didn't mess up at all. But this is a particular ANC problem because this has been an ANC government-run South Africa now since 1994. And so then what we saw was a bunch of political squabbling over which politician's fault it was. A former local politician came out and he actually quit, he said, because he was so frustrated by the situation that I'm about to tell you. But he said that he was working on a plan and had the power to do something about it in a coalition government a few years ago that he believed would sort out the Johannesburg CBD and then political infighting caused the coalition to collapse and then a new coalition government was installed. This local politician was not involved in the winning team and so his plan fell away and it hasn't been picked back up again and this is another serious problem with coalitions which is going to be a central issue in the 2024 elections, in local government, and maybe even in national government. It is crazy to think that between 2000 and 2019, there were only three mayors of Johannesburg. Now there have been eight mayors in four years. And every single time there is a new coalition collapse and a new bartering and restructuring of power and new people put in different positions, projects stop. Solutions fall away. They maybe get picked up again, maybe they don't. Many of these people don't know how long they will be in power for, so they don't even really know what to invest their time in. They don't know why they'd invest their time in these projects. And so the dysfunction that we see in the Johannesburg CBD is a warning sign of one of the bad outcomes of unstable rulings between many political parties forming in coalitions. Very scary. And we watched in the last few weeks all of these different politicians, DA, Action SA, Patriotic Alliance, NC, all blaming each other for this coalition's mess. And one of the consequences is this kind of disaster in this burnt building in Marshalltown, Johannesburg. And the last blame shifting, and I want you to watch out for this as we come into the 2024 elections, because it's becoming more and more common, is political parties blaming NGOs, public interest groups, for the crisis in the city of Johannesburg. Because here's the basic idea that political parties try to peddle. 
they want to clear out these hijacked buildings, but every time they're about to do a raid or they're about to clear out these buildings and make a ton of arrests, they are stopped by court injunctions where basically NGOs like the Helen Sussman Foundation and others take the government to court to say, you're not allowed to do this. And the political parties say, so it's the evil NGOs who are stopping us from sorting out this problem in the city of Johannesburg. In fact, we are starting to see conspiracy theories online and again with no evidence peddled by these same evil bot accounts with no evidence claiming that the NGOs are working with the criminal organizations and getting cuts because they're keeping the government away from the buildings and the criminal organizations thank them by giving them a little bit of every extracted rent from every poor person living in that building. South Africans or legal immigrants or illegal immigrants, all the same when it comes to paying the rent. But this is nonsense. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. Secondly, The NGOs, when they take the government to court, only win their court cases because the legal system confirms that the government in their actions is breaking the law. Because all people in South Africa, legal immigrant, illegal immigrant, South African, have basic fundamental human rights. And the basic fundamental human rights that the government breaks if they turf people out of buildings is then the people on the street. They're without shelter, they're without basic services and protection, which, by the way, the government is already not providing them. And the court says you need to provide them new lodging and new resources and basic services if you are going to kick them out of these buildings. It is your job then as the government to provide safe haven while you sort this out. And the government says we can't do that. We don't have the resources. We don't have the infrastructure. And maybe that's true. But it's also on the government to sort that out. And the government now blaming NGOs for a problem that the government allowed to happen and then created and now saying, ah, but the NGOs are stopping us, is so ridiculous and so unacceptable. But just watch, 2024, major political figures are going to start trying to blame the NGOs. And that is going to be one of all of these serious issues that I have spoken about. So that's the issue with the Johannesburg CBD. Thank you so much for listening to the issue with Dan Corder. And let's watch and see how many of these issues we spoke about today that are so perfectly embodied in the example of the Johannesburg CBD become core issues in the upcoming election. You can go and check us out on YouTube where we post video versions of every single show that you hear here on podcast and you can find us on all social media. We are there and we are having the conversations that need to be had. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Thank you.